I do pray for our fellow believers, Lord. We, um, we are so sorry, Lord, and our hearts are filled with sorrow at the, uh, the tragedy and the shooting. I pray, Lord, for the families of uh, that attend that church and the people in that community uh, who know those families. I pray that you would be gracious to them, that you would show them the compassion that uh, we've all felt at, at some time. Lord, uh, I pray that you would raise up people there that could do acts of kindness to help them with this. Father, I uh, express to you my sorrow that we still have in our country um, people that discriminate in very bad ways. Lord, I'm sorry for that. And uh, Father, as long as we have that, then uh, Lord, we, our work is not done as Christians. I pray for that community. I pray for healing. And I pray that somehow you would help them with the whole concept of reconciliation. I imagine that's a very challenging thing for several of them now. So watch over them and be with them. Lord, I continue to lift up our, our uh, fellow believers in Nepal. I know it's no longer on the news, but Lord, I know that they are, um, many of them are very desperate and still have nothing and no place to go. And uh, the, um, their future is uncertain in their eyes. So for the fellow believers there, I pray that you would give them patience and grace and show them your love. And Father, we lift these things up and we are thankful that you are a God who loves all of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last week we started a series out here on uh, who is God. And um, we talked the first summer, a couple of summers ago about Jesus. Last summer we talked about the Holy Spirit. And this summer we're talking about the Father. And uh, he expresses himself throughout the Old Testament as God. And so we uh, titled the series, The Engaging God, because God is someone who engages us. He lives in our world, and he's constantly moving into our lives. He's not leaving us alone. Uh, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? I've uh, told my children when they left home, each of them, I use the metaphor of dancing, that uh, sometimes you're out there on the dance floor with the Lord, and you wonder how you could ever doubt Everything just works well. And then sometimes you show up on the dance floor and you feel like you're singing or you're dancing to a different song than God's dancing to because you're running into him and you get frustrated with what he's doing in your life and, and you're just banging your knees and he won't get out of the way. And then sometimes you show up on the dance floor and God's not there. He just doesn't show up. What's that all about? That may be behind Jesus' words on why have you forsaken me? He felt that aloneness as well. And so that's part of it. Now we know as Christians, our theology teaches us that God is very present, but sometimes he just wants to watch. I liken it to a parent who kind of steps around the corner when their two-year-old's doing something. They're very aware of what the two-year-old's doing. The two-year-old's not aware. They're watching. They're still being good parents. So sometimes God just kind of disappears from our life. But he's always there. He's always engaging us. He's always interacting with what's happening in our world, whether we experience him or not. So last week we started with Genesis 1 and 2. We talked about the whole creation story. You may remember, for those of you that weren't here, a short summary. We pretended we were Israelites just coming out of the Exodus. So we 
Just a couple of months before, we were in slavery. We're just slaves. We know very little about the world. We don't know anything about domestic policy, foreign policy, military strategy, supply and demand, economics, how to take care of ourselves. We're slaves. And so God lets us wander for the first two or three months to get away from the Egyptian army, get to a place of safety at the base of Mount Sinai. And then he says, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you the story. And he does that through Moses, and that's what's captured in Genesis. So the very first thing that God does to speak to this nation is to say, let me tell you about where you came from and where all of this came from. And, and that's where we learn how, how wonderful God is, that he made all this. He made all this to teach us about him and for us to enjoy it. We were made for this creation. Someday, when we get to the end of this and we look in Revelation and the new earth comes, guess what? We're still made for this. This is what we're made for. And so right off the bat, the very first thing we learn about God is that he loves us and he's giving us a gift. And here it is, right here. Well, then many of you know the story. It doesn't take very long. Adam and Eve turn against God. By the way, uh, the greatest way that God can show dignity to us is to give us choice. Isn't it? That's just a wonderful gift. And what did Adam and Eve do with it? What every one of you would have done with it walked away and rejected him. And that's what we do. And so he, um, he gave them choice, and they walked away. We call that in theology the fall. That's where we moved away from the Lord. The result of that is brokenness, depravity, sinfulness. Lots of words that we use in Christian theology to describe the world as we all know it today. We don't know what it was like beforehand. We have glimpses, we have echoes. We all long for justice, don't we? It bothers us what happens in South Carolina, right? And we, arguably, we have one of the best justice systems in the world, and yet it's inadequate. It still fails us. But there's something inside of us that knows that we were built for that. We get it. So we live in a distorted kind of world of trying to make sense of reality, always achieving but never quite getting there, always working hard but never quite getting to where we want to be. And so creation tells us that. Fall, boom, lots of problems. And then you have this picture from Genesis 3 through 11 where it just spirals right down the toilet. It just goes lower and lower. Murder, you name it, it begins to appear. So when you get to Genesis 10 and 11, you have something, some interesting news, wonderful news about this God who continues to love us. Uh, that's where he creates the nations, and you have the Tower of Babel. So first of all, he creates all of the nations. Why? What's with that? What led God to create all the different ethnic groups? When I travel overseas, I love to have fun with my students. They have, they have just as big a problem with discrimination in their countries as we do in ours. So um, I get the darkest student in the room, and yes, he is discriminated against. And um, of course, I'm always the lightest guy in the room. It's just the way it works when you're overseas in India or Nepal. And I get them and I say, okay, you and I, he and I are the two best people in the room because we're the bookends. And I put him at one end of the room and I go to the other end of the room, and then I have my students get up there and align themselves by color, from darkest to lightest. To illustrate, 
something really fundamental to Christianity, we believe in one human race. We believe in one human race. Racism is a construct in sociology, but in theology, we believe in one human race comprised of a, of a, a whole movement of color, different ethnic groups. That comes in Genesis 10 and 11. Why? Why did God do that? What was he thinking? Was it an afterthought? Was it by design? Well, when you get to Revelation 7, guess what? Every nation is present in, the, in uh, eternity, an eternal state. Every nation. That tells me it wasn't an afterthought. This was God's design. Why did he do that? It's hard to describe. Here's how I picture it in my mind. Here's God. He creates a kaleidoscope. I know that's an older metaphor now. I can't think of a new one. A kaleidoscope of nations, different colors, and then he chooses one to reach the rest. That's what choosing is all about. Chooses one to reach the rest. So the fundamental definition or concept of election or choosing is God chose us for a purpose. We have a purpose, and that's to reflect the glory of God around us. And so here's what happens practically um, when you get into it. I, <clears throat> I spend time with Mark. Mark and I work together. We're about the same age, the same build, same color, similar experiences. And um, I'm better looking than he is. But other than that, so I tell Mark, I ask Mark, tell me about your experience. And uh, so we're regularly talking about our experience with the Lord, and I learn things because the Lord works through him in different ways than he works through me. And then I talk to Lisa. Now I've crossed the gender boundary. Wow. There's not much to say about that. It's just, wow, it's a big difference. And I say, tell me about God. And she starts talking about God, sometimes with language I hadn't even thought of yet. And it's like, huh, because she's a woman. So then I fly to Nepal, and I've crossed every threshold you could think about, socioeconomic, religious, gender, ethnicity, all of that. And, uh, and I have them talk about God, and it's a very shocking kind of thing. But each step of the way, here's what happens. My view of God begins to broaden. So I learn a little bit more about God by listening to Mark, and I learn a lot more about God by listening to Lisa, and then I go overseas, and I learn a ton about God because I've crossed every threshold and so what that tells me is that this whole concept of ethni ethnicity is by God's design. He did this on purpose so that we could learn about him because our language, our culture, all of that gives us a different way of appreciating God. Several different ways. And so the more we listen to each other, the more three-dimensional and real and alive God becomes. In other words, God can't be fully known until both genders and every ethnic group is heard from. That's what eternity is all about. And as much as we can enjoy it now, we should enjoy it. So we should look for people different than us. Because the more different they are, the faster we grow. Now we talk about it in terms of diversity. That's a politically charged word these days. So I like to talk about a theology of difference. Look for people different than you, and you will grow. So this is a real gift from the Lord right at the very beginning of the journey when everything is spiraling right down the toilet, that God would create diversity, ethnicity, so that we can begin to learn about him. And then you get to Genesis 12, where I want to start today. Genesis 12, we learn something about the Lord very quickly. 
the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. We have no, uh, we have no indication that he's a follower of God. In fact, Joshua tells us a couple times in the book of Joshua that uh, Abram's family were idol worshipers. They were Chaldeans, probably uh, stargazers, is my guess. So uh, we have no indication he knows anything about God. And God appears out of nowhere and says to him, go. And he says to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And here it is. All the peoples or nations on the earth will be blessed through you. There it is. God chose one to reach the rest. Can you imagine having that honor? God chose you to reach the rest, and somehow he's going to bless all the peoples on the earth, all the nations. So Abram said, well, who are you, Lord? No, no, that's not what it says. What did he do? He went. I don't know what it would be like for God to speak to me out of nowhere, but it might terrify me. I might just go. Abraham went. Abram went, just as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That's important, especially when we get to next week and talk about Isaac, because he's kind of getting past the years where you have kids. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. This, my friends, is the is the gospel. This is the best news the world has ever seen. And you know what that news is? You've heard me say it before. God did not forget us. We start right there in Genesis 12 with his rescue attempt, his grand plan to rescue us from this downward spiral. That's where it starts, Genesis 12. We look at it as the word salvation. But what is salvation? You're saving someone. You're rescuing them. We are in dire straits. The world is going this way, and if God doesn't intervene, there's no place to turn. And so he begins with Abram. He starts his very long and massive rescue attempt. How do I know it's the gospel? Listen to these words in Galatians. I'm going to jump all the way to the New Testament here. This is Paul, I believe. Galatians, he says uh, in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We'll come to that in just a minute. That's Genesis 15. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce this good news, this gospel in advance to Abram. And what did he say? All the nations will be blessed through you. All the nations will be blessed to you. That's a quote from Genesis 12. uh, 12. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul recognized, looking way back in the ancient world, that this was the blessing. This was the gospel. Now, when we told the story last week, we were starting around 1500 B.C. Remember, we're Israelites sitting here reading these stories about the creation, and then God tells us what happens to humanity in the downward spiral now he starts talking about Abraham. I don't know if they knew of Abraham or not until this, until this was given. They may not have because, you see, Abraham lived five or 600 years earlier, 2000 to 2100 B.C. So all of a sudden, even though we're Israelites, 
to continue the metaphor from last week, the experience, even though we're hearing the story, we have jumped into a story five or six hundred years earlier. What does that tell us about God? If we're down here, and he was already thinking about that downward spiral back there, he didn't forget us. Well, now we're 2,000 years even later. 3,500 years later, what am I saying? We're way down here. We have the same faith, don't we? God remembered us. He didn't forget us. So one of the first things we learn about God is that he, in his mind the whole time, he was thinking about how to rescue us and stop this downward spiral. He just started way back here with Abram. God loves to bless. He just loves to bless. It's part of his character. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you do not like to bless your kids? I saw that hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's something wired inside of us, isn't it? Isn't there something in us that loves to bless? When it gets challenging and difficult is when our kids live lives that make it a real challenge to do that. That's who we are. Why is God any different? So way back here in the beginning, we learn God wants to bless. That's just his character and his nature. When you move over to Genesis 15, something very interesting, I think. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I had somebody say to me this week, and I actually had it many times in life, that it'd be kind of cool to live back then when you got to hear from God directly, because we don't always get to hear from God directly. I said, well, that's true, except for one problem. If you map out how often Abram heard from God, it's probably every 10 years. You know? So you have Moses. He hears from God, and then he goes out to the wilderness, and 40 years later, he hears from God again. Do we really want to go that long? We have the advantage of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, which means we live in a daily communication with God. I have a feeling if we were to talk to Abraham, he might say, wow, tell me about that daily communion with God. So we're now we're down the road a little bit. So the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, Genesis 15. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Remember, Abram has no children at this point. And so God said, you're going to bless him through his offspring. Well, I don't have any offspring and I'm getting kind of old. So he says, I'll tell you what, God. This is something we all love to do, help God out, don't we? <laughs> tell you what, God. You can bless me through my servant Eliezer, his offspring. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Coming from your own body. By the way, that led him in the next chapter to, to uh, marry, basically, have relations with his wife's servant. And so he had a child from her, Ishmael. And God said, nope, not him either going to be somebody from you and Sarah. The problem is they're too old. You have to wait till next week for that one. So he took Abram outside and he said, look at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Here it is. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. This is, Paul uses this argument as well as James. This verse right here to demonstrate what it means to come to faith in the Lord. The wonderful thing about this is this is several years down the road. 
When he said to Abram, go, back in 12, we're much year, several years earlier. We have no indication that he had a saving relationship, the way we think about it. That tells me that we are on a journey of faith. One of the questions I love to ask people now, especially the young people, I don't ask, when did you become a Christian? When did you become a Christian? I don't ask, uh, when did you uh, believe in the Lord? I ask, tell me about your faith. Where are you on that journey? Have you gotten to a point where your faith is your own? That's a question for all of you. I'm not asking for when you prayed, when you got baptized, when you walked down the aisle, none of that. Are you at a point in your journey where your faith is yours? Part of the challenge, as you know, older people, of our middle schoolers and high schoolers is learning how to make faith our own. That's a rugged, rugged transition. That's why several of us love to hang out with our teenagers and our 20-somethings. We do. What does it look like to make faith your own? In fact, I think in there we have Pug Ryan's tonight, 5.30. For uh, any of you want to come, I prefer you not have gray hair. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Anybody can come. We go to Pug Ryan's at 5.30. We talk about whatever anybody wants to talk about. What do you do to make faith your own? And so Abram's faith became real right here. Did he demonstrate faith earlier? He did. He got up and went. But this is the point that Paul says uses as an example of what it means to turn to the Lord to receive salvation. Abram believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. What else do we learn here? How did God speak to Abram? He took him out and looked, said, look at all the stars. If Abram was a stargazer, Chaldean probably, then you know what? God's speaking to him in language he understands. And that is the story of the Bible. Every example you have of people coming to faith, guess what? God does it a different way. He gets to them and he connects with them in concepts and language and words and experiences that make sense to them. Does that tell us something about God? He never gives up. He never gives up. So can you release your child who's living in rebellion? Can you kind of Give that over to the Lord. We all, I will always wonder what that means when people say that. Here's what I mean. Can you relax? <laughs> Can you relax and trust God? Here's what we know about God and your children. Number one is he loves them far more than you do. Number two, he's been involved in their lives in far more passionate and significant ways than you'll ever be. Number three, he has a whole lot more experience with those kinds of kids than you do. <laughs> My first one was a troublemaker. He's proud of it and so am I. And you know what? I had zero experience. God had a ton. So can you relax? God knows how to connect with people in a variety of experiences. We are a church that's a community church. What I mean by that is if I were to go through all the denominations, there's no doubt in my mind, everyone is represented right here. That is fantastic. Because when I stand up here and talk someday, sometimes I think, hmm, when I make this statement, I'm just going to tick off all these people over here. Then the next Sunday is going to be all these people over here. Because I know your backgrounds. But what I don't have to worry about is how to get you to connect. You naturally do that, and the Lord has wired you that way. And he knows how to reach each of you with language that makes sense to you. Just like he does your children. That's what he did with Abraham. He spoke to Abraham and he allowed Abraham to experience him in ways that made sense. Now keep in mind, 
We're way back here. We're way back here in the beginning. Can you see that God's heart is to bless? You see that? All the way back here, we have the evidence of it. And you know what? Genesis 3 through 11, where all those nations are being formed, and he chooses one to reach the rest, that's way back here. There's a straight line from this all the way down to Revelation 7 and the eternal state where he says, standing before the throne is every people, every tribe, every language, every nation. It's a straight line from there to here. That tells you something about how important this is to God. He loves to bless. So when you look through the Bible, guess what? You find passage after passage after passage after passage that talks about his love for the nations. I'm just going to read one to you, Psalm 96. There are many that we could look at. Psalm 96. You'll recognize some of it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. How many of you recognize that right away? Okay, let's put it in context. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For, the great, is, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. See how they always go back to creation? I love it. I've shared many times, if you're having trouble talking to your friend about Jesus, that's okay. Take him for a hike. If the creation shouts the glory of God, Psalm 19, then God can tell his own story fine. Take him for a hike. What better place to do it? My goodness. Or take him out on a boat. Take him on a bike ride. Go skiing with him. Thanks, Tim Sealing, for taking me skiing all the times this year. Had a great time learning about the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say to the nations, say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Took us right back to creation. There it is. If in doubt, Go for a walk. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. All of a sudden we have creation praising God. By the way, this fall I want to do a little work on worship. How do the creation, how does the creation worship God? How does a tree worship God or a moon or a sun? You have a double thing going on here. Number one is you're, you're revealing that all of creation is designed to worship the one true God, and at the same time that you're doing that, you're showing that they're not gods, which every other nation believed they were. So two things are happening at the same time. They're not gods because God created them. Because God created them, they're worshiping him. How does that happen? You ever think about that? How does a tree worship God? By doing what it's supposed to do. Living out its purpose. Gives all, it gives shade. Um, it gives off oxygen. I think it consumes carbon dioxide. If I remember correctly, it's part of the ecosystem. What does the sun do? I think it kind of keeps us all in the right place. It gives off warmth and light. 
That's how they worship God, by doing what they were created to do. How do you worship God? By fulfilling your purpose. That's the core fundamental definition of worship is to fulfill your pur- purpose. And what is your purpose? Your purpose, Genesis 1, let us make humans, back to creation, let us make humans in our image so that they can rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, so we can work. That's how we fulfill our purpose, by doing what we're created to do. It's easy for Christians to say, well, what's your purpose? To worship God. Okay, I'm going to get married and have four kids so they'll worship me. Does that feel kind of odd to you? The Bible says God created us to worship. How do your kids bring you glory? By doing what you've taught them to do. When they fulfill their purpose, when they live responsible lives, when they learn to live out and exercise their faith in good ways, aren't you most glorified at that point? That's glorifying the Lord. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When you look at the book of Romans, you find something very fascinating to me. The very beginning of Romans, the very first thing he says. Romans 1, verse 5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. And you are among those Gentiles who were called. So he starts off by saying, we received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles by faith. And how does he end Romans? The very last thing he says. Last chapter. To him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to faith and obedience to the only wise God, be glory forever, through Jesus Christ, amen. The beginning of Romans and the end of Romans talks about going to the Gentiles, all the nations. What's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. God loves to bless We should be deeply, deeply concerned. Our spirit should experience angst when we read about what happened in South Carolina. Should. Murder is bad enough. But then to do it for prejudicial reasons? Folks, we have a lot of work to do. We don't need laws on hate crimes. We need Jesus. (laughs) That's what we need. We serve a God who from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, loves to bless, and he loves to bless through the nations. And we're going to see this reappear over and over and over again with the promise to Abraham. I will make you a blessing to all the nations. All the nations will be blessed through you. We're going to find that language repeatedly throughout our summer journey because that's the heart of God. He cares about us. But he cares about us because we're different from one another. He's the one that made us that way. Father, thank you. Thank you for being such a great, fabulous, wonderful God who does things that none of us would have ever even thought of. 
who does things that are so far beyond our thinking that when we think about it and see it, we kind of stand back in awe, and then when we experience it, we go, we laugh, and we say, of course, you made us for that. Father, help us to be peacemakers as a church. Help us to be those who reconcile. Whatever the cause of division, Lord, help us to be those who move into the lives of people to bring about reconciliation and unity so that we can best bring glory to your name by loving each other well. We pray these in your, things in your son's name. Amen.